0: Good morning. Good morning. I am very excited to be here. Like Antoine said, my name is Barrett O'Connell, uh, along with my wife, Rachel. Um, we help lead the Seattle church. We're part of a leadership team uh, there. And, but I'm really excited to be in Atlanta right now. Um, it has been an incredible time so far. Uh, but I got to say, for all you people from Atlanta, if you ever get sick and tired of the amazing worship, this beautiful church building, and the sun outside— We honestly have none of those three, Um, but summer is really, really beautiful. Um, It's like 70 degrees all summer long. Um, We love Seattle. Uh, We moved there about a year and a half ago, and already we feel deep roots and a deep connection with the church. Uh, Before that, my wife and I spent the last 20-plus years in Houston. Um, That's a big swap, a big change, a big difference. Houston is like gold grills and cowboy boots. Seattle is like flannel shirts and hiking boots. It's a big, big difference, but we really, really love it. Another thing I love, Jared's laughing, he's from Seattle with us, and he's like, yeah, that, that's what Seattle is. Um, another thing uh, I love besides Seattle and being here with you guys this morning, um, I love teenagers. Not in a weird way. Um <laughs> I'll make that clear. I just love working with teenagers. I love working with teenagers. Since I've been a disciple, I've, I've been involved with teenagers every single year uh, of, of my life as a disciple. In the 10th grade, um, I, I, I moved to Dallas a year earlier. I was a bit troubled. Um, it was a tough time growing up. I was an angry kid, and I was angry at anyone who was happy. Uh, I, was, I was very jealous, there were a lot of fits of rage and issues, and, and, and my fighting and different things had seen me kicked out of all the traditional sports I grew up loving. I'd been kicked out of baseball and kicked out of basketball, and wrestling was available, and I thought, well, maybe that's good. I keep getting kicked out for fighting. And like my second day of wrestling practice, a guy came up and invited me to church. Um, I became a disciple. Uh, it was a great team ministry in the Dallas Church there. There were probably 60 disciples. We were close to each other. My high school had four boys who were disciples. Uh, this is a picture from my senior year. I'm on the bottom right. Uh, above me is the younger brother of the man who reached out to me, who had already kind of graduated, moved on at that point. And then my best friend is over on the left. And, and we were all on a wrestling team together. Um, we would drive them midweek every week together. It was a great way to be a teenage Christian. I was one of a couple boys in the teen ministry who didn't have parents in the church. Uh, my friend on the left, his mom was in the church, but, but between us, we had one Christian parent. So when the Dallas church would host a big thing with a potluck and everyone would bring lunch, him and I would walk around and eat like 20 lunches because all the teen families wanted to feed us. They're like, oh, you don't have your parents here. Eat some lunch, you know, and, and I would eat 20 lunches, you know. Um, it, was a, it was an amazing time to be a teen. Maurice Hooks studied the Bible with me and baptized me. He's an incredible teen minister family all around me. After that, I went off to college. Uh, that's a picture of my wife, and you're like, why do you have, why do you have a picture of your wife and her college boyfriend? Um, that, that's me. Um, my wife still looks mostly like that, I don't. Um, We went off to school. We were on a mission team, uh, fresh out of of high school, basically, and um, it it didn't go great. It wasn't a great situation. Our campus ministry struggled. But on a mission team with no child in the church older than eight, we baptized six different teenagers in in, in a year and a half. We studied the Bible constantly with teenagers while we were doing bad campus ministry. (laughs) We couldn't baptize a college student. Everyone was falling away, but we baptized all these teenagers. I ended up moving to Houston to finish school while I was there. I got a job working for the Princeton Review, teaching SAT prep. I would offer a free SAT prep class for all the teenagers in the Houston church. Um, I wanted to be involved with the teenagers. After I graduated from uh, college in 2003, a uh, rough time in the church. We tucked in under the wing of Damon Michelle Curtis as volunteers in the teen ministry. Um, and we just, I was a high school teacher and a high school coach. And, you know, there's a preseason calendar picture on the left with me and the guys. And then there's me with a young man I got really, really close to. And I thought, I'm going to be a high school teacher and coach for the next 40 years. That's all I ever want to do. But over time, I I, I kind of began to feel like these young men I was helping, uh, this guy's dad had passed away, and we got incredibly close over, over three years together. He went off to college and I, I just started to feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm helping them be better people and have slightly better lives, but I'm not really having an eternal impact. So Damon, every summer when I'd be with him full-time, he'd lean on me and lean on me and lean on me. Don't go back to school, don't go back to teaching. Do ministry with me. And finally, I, I, I relented. And we became full-time teen ministers. And those are two different pictures of our teen ministries. On one side is camp. And I got to go to camp a lot. Uh, as a high schooler, I got to go to camp immediately. Dallas used to own a camp. I've spent over 52 weeks of my life at, at summer camp. Over a year of my life is summer camp. Um, I love camp to death. Our teen ministry. The other one is CC's Pizza. Right. CC's has got a buffet, and every year we'd go float the river, and then we'd drop in with like 150 teens to eat, yes. eat buffet pizza. Eventually, though, they wouldn't let me be a teen minister anymore, and it was tough because I was like, I'll quit coaching because I'll work with teens spiritually. And then they were like, you, you can't just stay a teen minister, you've got to lead a region now. There were a lot of changes in the Houston church. They're like, we want you to lead a region, and I was like, I agreed, and I, I seriously was like, I'll do it, but only because now I can get a hold of those parents. <laughs> I was starting to feel like I was helping teens and the parents weren't so helpful. I was like, I want to get a hold of those parents. I'll work with families. And we got to work with families. And one of the families we got closest to, you know, like our whole region, we'd go support kids at their games. We'd do all these different things. I loved working just as a a region leader in Houston and working with families. Um, Eventually, though, I came back to teen ministry. Our teen ministry in Houston was in a bad place. The teen minister was in a not great place. Uh, Our region of the church, we we couldn't figure out, uh, should teen ministry be a congregational role or a regional one? And our region had kind of been ignored, and and we had 20-something kids in our region and no disciples. And I called the church leader together and one of the other region leaders, and I yelled at them all. And I said, keep your teen minister away from my region. I was angry. I wasn't in the healthiest place. There was some of that lament, but I should have been aiming at that God, but I aimed at my boss. I said, keep your teen minister out of my region. I'll do it myself. I told all the parents, the adults in the region, um, for six months, take care of each other. I'll still preach, but I'm, I'm focusing on the teens. This is urgent. This is, this, is, this is the most important thing right now. And in that time, uh, we kind of revitalized things, and I got to play as a teen minister. I got a second crack at being a teen minister, um, and I got to baptize a number of these boys, and that's my little boy on the bottom. And I remember my little boy at like seven years old came with me to get with some of the teen boys before midweek, and, and he like fit in almost. They were talking about video games and LeBron James and he kind of fit in. I came home and told my wife, I said, he fit in. And I don't think it's because he's mature, because he's not. I think every man might be eight years old inside. I think every single man on planet planet might be eight years old inside. But I had a blast with these guys. and It was like a special time in ministry. Now we've moved to Seattle and now I'm a tr- now I'm a church leader. I'm not, I'm not just a region leader. Now I'm the church leader, but I, I still insist that I study the Bible with teen boys. We showed up in a region with 160 or so, and in, in, in under a year and a half, we've, we've had eight teenagers baptized in our region. And, and seven of them are boys. Seven of them are young men. Um, and this is one of the young men. And every baptism in Seattle is in some beautiful lake or ocean. Like, everything there is beautiful. It looks like a postcard every direction you turn. I I also, by coming to Seattle, I get to coach again, actually. In Texas, you have to be a full-time teacher to coach. They won't let you volunteer. But in in Washington, they will, and I became a coach again. And the young man on the left there, um, I I started volunteering at the high school near me. The young man on the left is a 220-pound guy, um, and, and, and I wrestled him every day over in the corner and, and blood and sweat and tears and, 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 and by the end of the year, he started to beat me. Um, I, I taught him all my tricks and he began to beat me. So I was like, he has to win the state tournament because if he wins the state tournament and one of the biggest weight class, I can tell myself only one high school kid in the state can beat me up. <laughs> but if he loses, that means there's a bunch of high school kids in the state that can beat me up. Um, there he is against one of the top football recruits in the state of Washington, and he, and he crushed him, and he crushed everybody, and he won the state championship. So I'm sure I'm the second toughest high schooler. I am the second toughest high schooler in the state of Washington. But most importantly in my work with teenagers is my work with my two teenagers. Um, on the right is my daughter Kaylee. Um, she's just a a, a, a real source uh, of joy in our lives. Um, she, has, she has the biggest, strongest, um, most freely expressed opinions of anyone I've ever met before. <laughs> she is a perfect melding of me and my wife because we're, we're, we're similar. Um, and it's, she's just a joy to us. Um, she's getting ready to choose a college. And, and, and for a couple of years, I feared it. She's going to leave, and I'm going to lose relationship. I, I, I went to a dozen different men with daughters. How did you stay connected? How did you stay connected? How did you stay connected? And God is really kind of just, I don't know that I got any specific practical advice, but I think God blessed the asking. And in the last year, we're, we're closer than we ever have been. And I know she's going to go, but she's, she's still going to be mine, you know, and I'm excited. And, and my son, um, he's a very embodied young man. He, he, he doesn't always want words. He wants to feel something. He wants to grab me. He wants to lay on top of me on the couch. He, he, wants, to, he wants to wrestle around with me. And, um, and, and, and he's like an extension of me sometimes. And I'm like an extension of him. Um, so I just, I love my kids. I love my wife. I love teenagers. You know, as I talk about the blessing, I want to point out that our world is actually more multi-generational right now than at, than at any point um, in, in modern history, People are living longer than they have. So there is, for the first time, three full generations in the workplace. Uh, In the workforce right now, you have baby boomers, Gen X, and millennials. And you have Gen Z right behind, about to enter the workplace. It's more multi-generational than ever before. And there's tons of conflict in jobs because of this. Management style, work-life balance expectations, communication style. Companies, jobs, your companies probably, your jobs, they're they're, they're struggling to meld together multiple, three, four generations into one workplace. As a church, we're fighting the same battle. We have different values. Things mean different things to us. You know, these challenges, like I said, are echoed in the church. God's kingdom cannot be what it's meant to be without all generations fully engaged for the good of the kingdom. This means we have to overcome differences and work together. God's blessing for us, the blessing comes through the cooperation of generations. You know, what does the Bible say about generations? It actually says a ton. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, Ruth, David, and more were all promised future blessing through their future generations. Large chunks of the Bible list genealogies. The son of, 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 the son of. There's a Bible genealogy chart. I, I purposely didn't zoom in because even if you do, it doesn't get more interesting. <laughs> I was always really curious when, when I encountered the Bible. Uh, right away, I was like, I, I didn't know anything. And right away, I was like, oh, no, Jesus died? The main character? Like, it was all new to me exciting to me fresh to me so I I pursued it and I went after it and I loved it Um, and right away I was like why are these genealogies in here eventually I got a graduate degree I was like I'll find out now why the genealogies are in there no one no one in my graduate degree had any idea they're like I I, I don't know about that (laughs) what are they for I think in some cases our world cares about genealogy the Danish king can trace his line back to 930 unbroken that's pretty good for him Um, people are are paying 23 and me to find out more about their ancestors. I know my great-grandmother on my mom's side because I met her. We had quick generations. My daughter got to meet her great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother. But I only know her because I hung out with her. She would play gin rummy with me and make tortellini um, and fudge for me to eat in her kitchen. But that's as far back as I can go. Maybe you've done some research and you know further back in your line. But what's the purpose? of these genealogies. I think there's cultural disconnect here. To understand the genealogies, I think you need to understand the context. The Jews of the early Old Testament, by the end it was different, but early, they didn't think in terms of heaven and hell. They didn't think in terms of eternity like that. For them, eternity and the blessing were not about heaven for themselves, but it was about the relationship with God being passed down to their children. That was the whole of the blessing. Generations, we eternal life to them. And obviously God values generations because he, he tells them to record them in these genealogies. Part of our blessing is still the opportunity to have an impact that lasts longer than we do. I want to say two quick things about uh, the blessing this morning from the life of Abraham. The first thing I want to say is that God's blessings are eternal. In Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham, the word of the Lord. It says, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my house will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. God says, I am your shield, your great reward. And Abram says, big deal, so what? My logical mind says that God answers in the next verse with lightning pull. How dare you? I am enough, Abram. Instead, God's pleased with this thinking. He is pleased with Abram saying, it's all worthless if I can't pass it on. You know, God has always had forever in mind. He always intended for Abraham's reward to be eternal and to be generation after generation. This is the blessing. Generation after generation. Generation. God never planned on a one-and-done salvation to improve Abram's life, Abraham's life, and make it great. Abraham knew that. He knew because God had promised him in chapter twelve and in chapter thirteen, "It'll be generations. It'll be generations." And Abram, Abraham, was not going to settle for anything less. You promised me generations, and I'm not taking great reward and protection as a, as a consolation prize. You can be as close as you want to me, God. It's not enough if I can't pass it on. You know, teens here this morning, what earthly blessings have you received? Parents, what earthly blessings have you received? Children's ministers, what earthly blessings have you received? Teen ministers, what earthly blessings have you received? Do you settle for them? You say, oh, I got some blessings. That's good enough. Do they leave you fulfilled? Or, or, or are you grateful for the blessings, but, but desperate for the blessing? Desperate for more. Abraham knew that earthly blessings and wealth and power and success weren't worth anything. He was interested in a relationship with God that would change his life forever. His family forever. Forever. No short term gain. He wanted eternal blessing, not a quick fix. What about you? God has an eternal blessing planned for each one of us. He plans for generations following you, just like He did with Abraham. Second, I would say not only are God's blessings eternal, His blessings are universal, they're for everyone. You know, when God thinks about generations, one to another to another, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, he's not limited like we are. We think of sons and daughters, and like I said, 23 and me, and how, how can I trace backwards? God definitely thinks of those, but he also thinks bigger than those. You know, the Jews thought this promise of generations meant whatever we do, we're picked, we're guaranteed a spot, because God said generations, so we have to get a spot, just like Isaac, but Jesus rebukes this entitlement in them. In Matthew 3, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he's baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think to yourselves, you can say, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He's like, don't, don't fall back on the idea that you're the children that were chosen because that doesn't matter. I think going back to the beginning for Abraham, if Isaac hadn't done what he was supposed to, stones. He was the the promised son, but if if he didn't choose God, God would have said, well, here's a stone, and that stone is now your son, Abraham. And I, I, I fulfilled my promise. Part of me hears this and says, no fair, God changed the rules. I want my two kids in heaven, not two rocks. part of me hears this and says, amen, God changed the rules. Because I'm not a child of Abraham. If you trace my ancestry, my DNA, if you go backwards, you're not going to find Father Abraham. I'm not Jewish. So part of me is like, why did he change the rules? Part of me is like, he changed the rules! This is because God thinks beyond physical generations. Paul explains it this way in Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we call Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I've been adopted. You know, I was a son that wasn't wanted. My, my father didn't want me. and I, I struggled with it through the first half of my life. But I have a father who chose me, who wants me, who adopted me. I get to be one of Abraham's descendants. I get to be a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. This is an amazing idea that we become God's children, that God loves the spiritual sons just as much as the physical ones. He sent his his one and only begotten son to die for me, he didn't send him even though I'm adopted. He sent them because I'm a son. Adopted, natural born, God doesn't see a difference. And perhaps most amazing is that God designs it for the physical and spiritual generations to work together. Just like Abraham's physical descendant, Jesus, would eventually save all of us, Abraham's spiritual children. The physical and the spiritual generations working together. And the plan is the same today in that regard. We need to think of the blessing in this way because it's universal. It's for everyone. We need to think, who can I pass the blessing to? I can pass it to my physical generations that follow me and I can pass it to as many spiritual generations as I want. God wants to have a great impact through me. I can be a physical father to many generations through my children. But God also wants me to be a spiritual father to many. Paul understood this in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, I'm writing this to you, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. I can be Father Abraham with many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. That could be me. How much do you believe this? More than that, how much do you prioritize it? Do you prioritize the physical generations of the church? If a hundred visitors walked in, if a hundred visitors, if a church of a hundred walked in, how would we flock to help and convert them? But with a hundred children in many of our churches, Every single Sunday. Where's the flocking? We try so hard to make the physical generations matter. My wife helps me with this. Her mother and father were disciples. Her dad, who's in this picture with me, wrote her cards throughout her childhood and in every single one said, Marry any man as long as he's a disciple. That's me, I'm any man. (laughs) I'm any man. When my father-in-law passed away, he actually apologized for not having any money to leave us. I told him the spiritual inheritance he'd given us was far more valuable. (laughs) I told him that I got to parent with their instincts and their experiences passed down through my wife. I get to value children and the way my wife learned as a kid in, in, in kids' kingdom class. Though back then it wasn't really class. they just wander around the Bay Area loosely watched. <laughs> do you try hard to serve kids in your church? Kids kingdom, middle school ministry, teen ministry, the physical generations of the church. I know most of you do because you're here. Do you try to prioritize the spiritual generations of, that God wants to create through you? Am I trying to become a spiritual father or mother to many? Am I sharing my faith? Am I adopting those inside the church? You know, healthy teen ministry, uh, children's ministry, youth ministry, it's built on this idea of the physical and spiritual generations blending together. What do I mean when I say that? As a teen minister, I was the teen minister for a long time. As a teen minister, who was I charged to care for? I was charged to care for the teen. The teen minister takes care of the teen, but something interesting happened to us as we took care of the teens. For 10 years in a good-sized church in Houston, almost no teenager was baptized without us at the middle of it. And you know what happened in those 10 years? Every parent in the church fell in love with us. So every teen parent was taking care of us while we took care of their teens. When we eventually became region leaders kind of halfway through that time, um, Man, I could have like accidentally backed over a puppy in the parking lot. And they would have been like, it's okay. We trust Barrett. He didn't do it on purpose. (laughs) Because he baptized our, our, our kids. Like they gave us all the benefit of the doubt. It was teen parents taking care of teen ministers while we took care of teens. But wouldn't you know it as time went by, it was teen parents who took care of us, the teen ministers, who took care of teens, who grew up and took care of teen ministers' child. It's not just generations. Teen ministry actually flourishes in the half generation. The teen minister as a bridge between parent and child, who then happens to have a child, and the teen becomes bridge between parent and child. Over and over and over and over, and if you do it long enough, you see this over and over and over and over. That's my wife, my daughter, and my teen who became my teen minister's child's teen minister. Gracie Ortega, I won't say Benavita, she's married now. Gracie was in this great family. We were in that Bible talk. In that Bible talk, both of her grandmas were part of the church. And, and, and we would go over for Bible talk and, and we'd get fed at their house and we'd have an amazing time with her parents. Eventually she became a disciple. She actually skipped teen ministry and, and was hard-hearted and wouldn't become a Christian. Wouldn't even show up most of the time. But in our region, we eventually got her later. She becomes a Christian in college. She be, you know, we've known her for, uh, since young, 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 young. She becomes a teen, uh, becomes a Christian. Then she becomes a teen minister. Then she studies the Bible with my daughter. This is last year. We're gone at this point. We're in Seattle. She's in San Antonio on the other side of the country. In the background, you can kind of see there's a picture. It's Harry Styles. They all met up for a concert in LA. Because my daughter doesn't love or trust anyone outside of our family like she loves and trusts Gracie. And I tell you what, if we wait long enough, you know what's going to happen? Our teen's child. Oh, I didn't put it in there. But our teen child, our, our daughter is at some... Oh, it is. It's the teen's child. Our daughter at some point is going to go take care of Gracie's daughter or someone just like her. Teen ministry plays in the half generations with beautiful, beautiful tapestry. Children's ministry plays in a half generation with beautiful, beautiful tapestry. That's the blessing. You know, the blessing. A generational plan of blessings was always what God intended. It goes in both directions. Those who came before you, and I encourage you to remember those who came before you, to think of who who is my spiritual family tree. I traced my spiritual family tree back 50 years once. He begot, he begot, he begot, he spiritually. And would you know, there were physical and spiritual generations mixed in there. Parents passing on faith to children. Christians reaching out to those they didn't know. So I could be here. And our our family tree goes in the other direction. My physical generations, my spiritual generations, from here to eternity. Today, God has a powerful plan for a blessing that is eternal for everyone. As we take communion, I want to stay focused on the same idea of the blessing. Because the God we serve is generational. He is Father and He is Son. At communion, we actually get to celebrate the Father who gave His Son. And we get to celebrate the Son who submitted His will to the Father. Through their generations, we are all saved through the giving up of the son, through the submission of the will, we are blessed. Join me as we pray for that blessing. Father, thank you so much. We are so grateful to serve a generational God. If you had rescued me and me alone, I could never dare to complain but I am so grateful that Abraham did dare. I'm so grateful that your plan always was and his boldness embraced uh, a plan for generations. I thank you so much for every spiritual son and daughter I get to have. That by the power of the cross, by the body that is broken to make us whole, by the blood that is shed to make us clean, I can have spiritual sons and daughters. That just like I felt unwanted, then felt wanted, I I can help someone feel wanted and chosen and adopted and special. I thank you so much for my, my physical son and my physical daughter. My wife and I are so grateful for them. They really are just the joy of our life. Thank you for loving us as your children. Thank you for communion where we get reminded of this. It's in Jesus' most precious name we pray, amen.